home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. And uh, we are no interviews this week, although we are in chats with uh, Intersex Canada to see hopefully if they can come and join us. And a fantastic programmer who focuses on lesbian radio. Uh, but uh, we may we may be diving into that interview in October. But before then, uh, this coming week, folks in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories, where there are not as many restrictions as in the rest of Canada, they okay. will be celebrating their Pride events. Their early events have gone very well from what uh, the CBC has been reporting. So the thing that I think you might find interesting here, Seb, is uh, they had a bouncy castle. They had, uh, it was all going on in the park. And it was mm-hmm. really about creating a space where people can have conversations with each other. Um, I bring this up because I, I really like prides that are super community focused. They yes. mentioned that they had like up to about 200 people coming through, but it was in a very big park. People are very spaced out. Actually, 200 people in Yellowknife during lockdown is a shocking number of people. Now, PEI, Prince Edward Island, is also hosting their Pride Parades this week. Uh, They're actually scheduled from July 18th to 25th, so it'll be coming happening next week. Mm Got to get my dates right in my head here. And uh, they are not having just one big parade. They're they're having a march that people can join in on. You can't watch the march because that would require a permit. But you can march with the march, which I imagine does not require a permit. Either way, they are having a march. Uh, But what they're doing instead is they have something like 45 events in PEI. I mean, it's it's pretty shocking that this tiny island can support so much uh, so much activity. They've pushed it into smaller events. Like I'll give you a quick a quick few here. Okay. Uh, Sean Casey Barbecue on Sunday, you know, drag show on Monday, a couple of workshops. Mm-hmm. There's a drive-in movie night on Tuesday, board games night. Mm-hmm. Wednesday has uh, a dry social. There's a trivia game. There's a poetry slam. And all of these events, and that was just Wednesday, all of these events are spread out across the island in different places. And I think their focus this year is to come back with a bit of a bang because this is the first time they can have pride since uh, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But uh, also they've kind of really focused on pushing it into these smaller venues, smaller communities. And I think that's what might tickle your fancy here, Seb. Yeah, the, um, in the past, in the more successful Ottawa years, because Ottawa has been a bit of a roller coaster up and down, as different boards come and go. But there was one year where the the printed Pride Guide only had, I think, 40 events. But if you went online, there was almost like 200 of them. And most of them was just like, you know, the, there was like a, a, um, a lesbian hiking group. I can't remember the name of it. The, the outdoorsy lesbians, I can't remember what they're called. Anyway, it was just basically their monthly meeting and they just put it in the guide kind of thing. So a lot of it was that sort of, of, of event. But there's i don't know the i like those weird events like that where it's you know open house like the local gay softball team is going out for tacos and anyone who's interested in joining uh, can come to dinner with them and see whether or not they want to play like that kind of event but uh, i mean i still think the most interesting one i've been to was a uh, curated exhibit on the history of lgbt 
writers and programmers in the video game industry. They barely mentioned queer characters in video games and mostly looked at the programmers and writers and directors and artists and all that sort of thing behind the scenes. That was really interesting. The other pride that's happening uh, pretty much soon, uh, sort of uh, uh, the 12th through to the 18th, so I think the week of when you're probably hearing the show, uh, is Sudbury, Ontario. Now, unlike the other two, which I think really focus on um, sort of celebration and, and these smaller events and creating community, yep. um, the Sudbury Pride organizers have, obviously they want to celebrate, obviously they want to help to create a sense of community, mm-hmm. but they are also really focusing on the fact that for many folks in Sudbury, they have been trapped at home and those home lifestyles may, or those home environments may not always be incredibly welcoming, may not always be safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're really focusing on the fact that some LGBT folks have been uh, isolated in environments that are either unsafe or unwelcoming. Mm-hmm. And um, they just want to they want to draw attention to that. They're Quarantine 2.0. Oh it's uh, Quarantine, but spelled Queer. Uh-huh. Quarantine. I quite like the name. I think it's I think it looks better written than it sounds. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. going to go with that one. Um, anyway, they uh, they have uh, a bunch of virtual events. They have some much smaller in-person events okay. uh, in accordance with the provincial health regulations. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they do have some. The Ziggs Bar in Sudbury, which is the, the gay venue there, um, hasn't been open for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, I don't think they're doing anything this, uh, this, this Pride event either. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting, the differences between, you know, Yellowknife, PEI and Sudbury about how they've all tackled this sort of pandemic pride a little differently. Some of that is probably due to the provincial lockdowns, because like, as you mentioned, uh, the territories and PEI have actually had much less stringent uh, restrictions. And Ontario is very much sort of looming under the shadow of Toronto. So even though Sudbury is up in Denort, where there's about as much population density as a forest, they still have to live under the, the, the same rules as Southern Ontario or even Eastern Ontario, actually. So, I mean, I can understand why the isolation there, it feels probably less necessary than it would in a major city. But even then, like communities like that are, are generally built on going out into spaces anyway. So being isolated is even worse if you're used to a community where, you know, people treat online spaces as sort of a supplement to going mm. to the bar or going to the community center or going to events or going to your clubs and things like that. So it's I, I could I could see them focusing on that. So it kind of it computes. Yeah, it's it'll be something for us to keep an eye on. We are an LGBT common affairs talk show. That's what I'm told. That's that's what I tell people. And uh, <laughs> the, the reason why I bring it up is we there is a lot about sex education that particularly for gay folks, you don't necessarily learn in school, especially yes. where there are multiple provinces where that kind of depth for LGBT folks just isn't there. Mm-hmm. And it is astonishing how many conversations I, I have had uh, with folks where I have to remind people that certain things have muscles that you can't just plow through. Um, okay. That, that certain things, 
you know, aren't a switch, it's a lever and you have to, you know, engage at different levels. And, you know, just the, the kinds of things that make everything more comfortable, safer, mm. the whole shebang, specifically around gay sex. And mm. the reason why I bring it up is that a lot of folks are learning from pornography. And mm. that segues quite beautifully or quite badly into okay. my next story about the Canadian owned, uh, the Canadian company MindGeek, which owns a whole bunch of porn, uh, porn sites, mm-hmm. including Xtube, which uh, is registered or headquartered in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are they are now shutting down. They are shutting down Xtube, uh, Sebastian. I've heard rumors about this. Yeah, but that's 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 it. People were just like. You know, it's it's gone away. So if you got if you've posted anything there, pull it down before it disappears, because I don't know some people are content creators or, and they they after they post something and they delete it off their computer. So I don't know. Mm. Um, it's a shrinking market out there, you know, and here's the thing, actually. So I was actually thinking some time ago it would be really interesting if there were uh, sexologists and porn stars who got together to actually do an education series. And I've seen things like this before where ostensibly it's supposed to be sex ed, but it either leans too heavily on the activism side or it leans too heavily on the, this is explicit, it's meant to be titillating side. Like you don't see a lot of people, you know, pulling out like, you know, here are anal beads, this is what they're for. You know, this is what it's supposed to feel like. If it doesn't feel like it, not everybody enjoys them. Maybe you just don't enjoy them. Maybe you're not using them wrong. Maybe they're just not for you. And and doing demonstrations and stuff like that. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily want the public education system to be doing these particular no, videos. No, in class. no, those that's that's <laughs> I think a level of detail that goes beyond what uh, what would be yeah. appropriate. Yeah, yeah, but, you yeah. you do that on your own time, but I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before, where they're actually you know and and treat it like any you know like a cooking show. Like I watched something, you know, well, instructional and, and mature and, and, you know, it would, be, it would, that would be a great educational series for only fans. You know what I mean? There is an expectation there that things are for a certain age and there's a remuneration model so well, that in, you can pay for your, your expertise in the, in the industry. There's actually a term for, you know, at the end of the episode, like as the episode's going on of whatever cooking show it is, where you have you know, your, your instructional set, you know, this is how you make the bread or the pasta or the sauce or whatever. At the end, when they actually have those like really tight close-ups of the food, that's all like steaming or whatever. The official term for that is the sexies because they're taking like food porn shots. So, I mean, like it's the exact same thing. The structure is the same. You know, you, you have the sexies at the end. And then in the meantime, you, you know, you have people like with the spoon going like, mm, that's so good. Like, you know, there's there's equivalence for that. I think I'm onto something here. I should start a business. You know, so the reason why I bring up this particular thing is because in the history of queer culture, of mm. gay male culture, how porn is created and distributed has had cultural impacts on Mm. on following that. So, for example, in the early days, it was illustrations. It was uh, maybe the odd photograph. And then Tom of Finland was a huge piece Mm -hmm. around that sort of queer cultural um, moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, you've got, uh, you know, videotapes and DVDs. And then you see out in San Francisco, New York, Toronto, Mm -hmm. the rise of stores, like even in Ottawa, one in 10, which really catered to the community and create a new space 
for that to happen. And sometimes it's get weird. Do you do you remember the do you remember about? Because I think you're actually just a shave too young to know to remember it specifically. But do you remember about the Brent Corrigan murders? Yeah. So I mean, like that that was a major event in the gay world, and it wasn't that this guy called Brent Corrigan murdered some people. It's that studio porn studio directors murdered each other to get access to the exclusive performance contract by this guy so this was early 2000s or something like that i only found out about it like there was a recent movie about it that came Mm. out but i bring it up because x tube and all of these tubes Mm. really i think defined how pornography was disseminated sort of from the distributed (laughs) thank you that's a much better (laughs) phrase um how it was distributed uh sort of from the 90s to quite recently i'd say 20 15 to 2020 at the mm-hmm. high end because mm-hmm. now we're seeing and, and that had major impacts it closed a lot of studios it what xtube was accused of amongst other things is that it allowed people to uh, upload their own content um download any content mm-hmm. uh the the uploading of content bit was tricky because we saw a, an eruption in uh, amateur productions Mm -hmm. we also saw some content shared that they didn't own the copyright for so stolen content Mm -hmm. being distributed but most importantly they were accused of sharing content or at least Pornhub was accused of sharing content where uh, the various actors in that production may not have been consenting so yeah maybe they were asleep maybe they were below age so weird um, hidden camera stuff or exactly Consensual stuff, but consensual for personal consumption, not consensual for distribution, a.k.a. Yeah. revenge porn. Revenge porn, big time. Yep. So, yeah, this is something that Pornhub really got um, uh, critiqued for in the la- over the last couple of years. There was a fantastic article in the New York Times in the Sunday Review. It was by Nicholas Kristoff, uh, December 4th, 2020. You can go check it out. It's called the children of Pornhub. But that really spotlights the fact that the issue here isn't with the pornography, but it's with all of, it's the fact that this website facilitated pornography without consent, facilitated Mm -hmm. distribution without consent and all of those issues. So now, yeah, we're at a bit of a, bit of a moment where this Canadian industry, this quite powerful big Canadian industry, MindGeek is based out of Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, they own Pornhub, RedTube, UPorn, XTube, which is now closing. I bring it up because I think culturally what we're seeing now is the start of this next phase of how pornography and queer culture have intermingled. And I think we're yep. starting to see that in OnlyFans. The rise of individuals expressing themselves and being remunerated for it like a fan subscription service. Within society at large, there's now starting to be a lot of discussions about our relationship with pornography, that there, you know, that there is such a thing as a healthy and unhealthy way to approach it. We may have largely been approaching it the unhealthy way for a while. Like- but I do think that we're also seeing a cultural shift in how people are consuming it. Mm. And I think that that might help the gay community as we move forward. Where with OnlyFans, you can create sort of relationships, not relationships, but you, in the same way that you could buy multiple productions from the same artist. The name for this is, it's called a parasocial relationship. That's the one. That's, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you create these parasocial relationships with these, with these folks uh, yeah. using OnlyFans. And I, I think, I don't know, I would, I would, I, I, it, this story made me pause and wonder because when we look at the shift from 
illustrations to DVDs, from DVDs to streaming, um, mm. you know, with, with Xtube. And I wonder if this one event, you know, shutting down of these major websites is now this sort of, uh, if you put a pin on a map for when that thing happened, if the pin would be put on this website closing for what happens next. We're jumping to our first song. This is Did You Ever by Irish Mython. I adore this track, adore Irish Mython. We'll be back just after Welcome back to Cancrete, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Now, there was a there was an interesting American story that came to my attention recently. And we we cover a lot of Canadian news. We cover a lot of international news. Um, but we, we don't generally cover too much American ones. And I wanted to tell you a story about a court case in uh, the state of New York. It's a lawsuit against the New York City Public School Board. 
um, for the uh, Astoria in Astoria, Queens. It's the Albert Shanker School for Visual and Performing Arts. Essentially, a middle schooler who has uh, some learning difficulties. Um, he, I believe, identifies as gay, has two gay parents, um, has two gay fathers, sorry, um, and a few other things. Anyway, was being bullied at school is right. essentially what the, the issue here is. And uh, the school tried to investigate. They've This individual was called all kinds of slurs um they would uh there was it was told that they would be damned to hell by god because of his lifestyle at a performing arts school i know in new york it's 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 kind of beggar's belief i went to Um, a performing arts school in the 90s i went to a performing arts school and i came out as gay back when it was still dangerous in the 90s and people just sort of shrugged it off like yeah well you know whatever we could tell and people who, who did not react that way their answer was oh that's nice because it was a performing arts school yeah so the the administrator said that when you're told that you'll be damned to hell that's just a difference of opinion Ooh. um which is not really <laughs> the best approach you want your uh, administrators to take and the principal apparently is reported in the court cases saying, well, if this young child didn't keep telling everyone that he was gay, they wouldn't bully him for it. Um, it's not. Uh, so anyway, that's that's point. And anyway, luckily, oh the dads who were gay themselves and had also experienced bullying identified yeah. it, realized the risks here. Um, this young kid reported suicide ideation, mm. um, became recluse, became depressed. Um, really serious consequences for this kid's mental health as a result. But what's really interesting about this lawsuit is they are essentially saying, look, if you know bullying is happening on any grounds, it is the school's responsibility to stop the bullying. Yeah. Not to say, well, stop mentioning the bullying and the bullying will stop. Well, that's not how it works. It's So they're being sued for not stopping the bullying that happens when uh, when they were made aware of it. A lot of this, a lot of the stories involving bullying, it really seems like, like, are there people who are hatched from the egg as 35 year olds? Do they not remember being teenagers? Were they not teenagers? Like, do they know you don't need to tell everyone you're gay? You just need to tell one wrong person once that you're gay and then they'll do the work for you. And they don't, you don't even have to tell them if somebody thinks they know and they want to spread yeah. a rumor. Yeah. I mean, this is nuts. And, and especially like in New York State, don't they have, they have like all those. Because I know Canada definitely has this where we have, you know, responsibilities that, you know, if you are a caretaker for young people and they're in harm's way, uh, there's also like anti-bullying legislation and, and whatnot. I, I, I just it baffles me that this is happening in current year. This, this sounds like a 2005 story, not a 2021 story. It really story. does. It sounds yeah. like a story we would have been talking before Adam Savage's It Gets Better initiative, you know what I mean? It, it sounds of that era. It's it's very even, concerning to hear of that happening now. Matthew Shepard turned a lot mm. of this around. Uh, Matthew Shepard and, oh, what's his name? The, the trans man that uh, they focused on in the movie Boys Don't Cry. The true story. I do not remember his name, but yeah. Um, 
the, the major incidents of the early 2000s that made people go like, oh, maybe this bullying thing is actually pretty serious, you know, that uh, one thing can lead to another and you do end up with gruesome situations happening. So, I mean, I don't know. It, this is this is really kind of like so horrible. It's fascinating. There's I'm curious another, as to how this came to be. Yeah. There's another story I wanted to share with you, this time out of New Jersey. Um Many provinces and many states, including the state of New Jersey, have banned conversion conversion therapy. Right. And we mentioned last week that Canada has nearly banned conversion therapy at the federal level. However, it <laughs> is done a really uh, good job of trying to. It, the bill is sitting with Senate. The Senate is on its summer vacation. The Senate may or may not get back to it before there's another election called. Um, so just a quick recap there. We are we are patiently waiting to see how that unfolds. Mm. But in New Jersey, uh, before this ban took place, somebody sued a conversion therapy organizations called Jews Offering New Alternatives to Homosexuality. Okay. Oh, Jonah for short. They okay. sued him under consumer protection legislation. Um, for offering a service that does not exist. They sued them for fraud. (laughs) They got him for like snake oil laws. Yeah, they got him for fraud. Absolutely. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. So in 2012, former clients of Jonah, the Jews offering new alternatives to homosexuality, sued uh, Jonah for fraud. Mm. Um, Science obviously agreed with them because it doesn't work. And every medical association... Um, you know, uh, rebukes them. Mm-hmm. They were offered 3.5 million in the verdict in 2015. So that was the damages okay. that was offered in 2015 um, in the private agreement. Now, that money was lowered. Um, and so they didn't have to pay out less in an agreement where Jonah promised to stop conversion therapy. Right, okay. So it's like you can either pay 3.5 or we'll pay less and also stop doing it to anyone else, which mm-hmm. I think is a bit of a win-win. Uh, Jonah rebranded and launched themselves again. Um, I'm trying to figure out what they what they launched themselves as recently. I, can't, I don't have their new, uh, their new name on hand. Um, but a couple of years later, in 2017 or 2018, they relaunched under mm. a new name, same people involved. So the initial complainant sued them again, asking um, for the original payment. They're like, look, you didn't keep your head under the bargain, so we're mm-hmm. th- suing you for the full 3.5 million. Um, Jonah appealed the decision to be able to have this open back up. So the judge agreed, yeah, they've, they've, they've defaulted. This is coming back up. They appealed that decision. And now a new judge has just decided now mm-hmm. that uh, they they did breach their earlier commitment to stop doing it. You don't and, say. Uh, I know, weird that. <laughs> um, and they could be facing the full lawsuit. But yeah, it is it is absolutely bizarre what you know this case i think is a really interesting take on like the law is there and the law as it does in canada particularly Mm. protects minors Mm -hmm. um but if you've been hoodwinked by a you know a snake oil salesman 
Yeah. Um, there's also laws against that. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there there's consumer protection laws, and and in a way, this kind of feels like sending Capone to prison for filling out his tax forms inappropriately. Like it's sort of we can't get you for the thing that we want to get you because the legal system isn't properly built for that. So we'll find something else. And this is, I mean, this is fantastic. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen other proposals like this of using you know, antitrust laws or uh, community, what is the community well-being or something? I can't remember the name of it, but there's a type of law. Uh, but using these sort of like, you know, backdoor lawsuits to get at it. But this is this is really interesting because this is uh, market economics behaving as how it's meant to. And uh, market economics, this, I discovered this recently, capitalism is actually a communist term. People who are capitalists refer to themselves as market economists. So market economists or capitalists, this is exactly the kind of uh, approach they would take, which is they're offering you a service which cannot exist. So just sue them until they don't exist anymore. And uh, I don't know. This is this is a this is a little tick. This is a gold star. It was interesting because the folks at Jonah did not claim to be doctors, did not claim to be therapists essentially pick a word where there mm. is any kind of license attached to it they weren't that yes they were life coaches oh because you don't okay. have to be licensed to be a life coach you can life coach whatever you like so they dodged that regulation by by being life coaches and for example they would have to shower naked together engage in activities like wearing a blindfold where other people in that group would yell homophobic slurs at them. Oh, my God. Um, they were told to wiggle out of blankets whilst naked to reenact their birth, because that helps. Why does... Um, and then oh this God. is the piece de la resistance, is uh, they had golden father energy moments where they would all have to cuddle up with older men Okay. to familiar themselves, familiarize themselves with healthy touch and the leader of this particular conversion therapy organization would sit in when these golden father energy touching moments were happening they're just Um, doubling down on giving them daddy issues big time so the jury in the original case took less about three hours to quite promptly decide that no none of that actually counts as therapy yeah and therefore does not work (laughs) there's actually a a similar story that came out of the the vatican did you hear about this one there's a a vatican uh, monseigneur tony anatrella who is a, a french uh, uh, well, Monseigneur, who ended up going to the Vatican and he ended up having, uh, he advocated against the Catholic Church and the Vatican becoming more gay friendly. And they find out recently that he's been engaging in almost the exact same thing, like trying to engage in conversion therapy through genital massage and back rubs and all sorts of weird things. And it, it's kind of this recurring theme where trying to get you to stop being gay is weirdly homoerotic like yeah going going back to pornography i'm surprised no one's had a conversion therapy theme porn yet it would sell it would be on theme and they wouldn't even necessarily be doing anything unrealistic rule 34 sab that's all i'm gonna oh say god rule 34 it's, it's so right. weird it's like homophobic frat boys who 
touch each other's butts all the time. It's it, yeah, exactly. All right, we'll jump to our next song. This is "Lose My Soul" by The Ruffled Feathers. We will be back just after this. Yeah. 
Hello and welcome back to Cancre, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. I want to take a couple of moments to talk about the recent death of 24-year-old Spanish uh, student uh, Samuel Luis. Uh, Samuel Luis, the, the attack was truly horrifying. Um, it had, the video was circulating in, uh, in Spain. Um, multiple people have now been arrested for it, which is which is great. Um, but what's really shocking about this, and what I think has inspired a lot of action in Spain, there were massive protests, massive gatherings up and down the country, as a result of this. From what local witnesses can say, is um, that somebody said uh, that Samuel Luis was on his phone uh, with two others. Uh, I think somebody said that they were, somebody thought that Samuel Louise was recording them on his phone. Okay. Um, and threatened, you know, stop recording me or I'll, I'll beat you. And um, there was homophobic slurs in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they attacked Samuel Louise and it was a group of, you know, about a dozen people. Mm-hmm. beating him and, and kicking him and, and uh, you know, up and down the street for about 150 meters from the, the nightclub to, to where he eventually collapsed, um, having, having died. Um, he tried to dash out of this crowd of 12 people on multiple occasions, only to be kicked and, and, and beaten further. Um, Samuel is horrific hate crime motivated death um, is being taken very seriously in in Spain, yeah, Spain uh, uh, is the considered the most gay-friendly country in Europe right now. Absolutely, they uh, they just made it easier for trans folks to change their gender identity documents. Mm. Um, so that was some good news out of Spain. Spain's national police, um, El Pais, said that uh, two men and uh, women aged between twenty and twenty-five um, have been arrested. But like they said, there were up to a dozen people involved in this very vicious attack. Mm-hmm. Um, on Samuel Luis, uh, and uh, they are still they are still chasing it down. Um, but what's really interesting as well is thousands of people have asked the city to consider renaming that street. It's um, in uh, Galicia. Galicia is Acuruna was the name of the nightclub, and it was uh, in the town it, in Galicia. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with Galicia? I've read stories about it uh, in French novels, actually. After uh, Lisbon got shaken apart in the Great Earthquake, a bunch of people went over to Galicia as mm-hmm. sort of refugees. So, I mean, I know mostly from the historical perspective. Also, I think they had a ropeway, but that's completely unrelated. So the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, has uh, said that you know he has confidence the police are dealing with it. Um, like I said earlier, the police have already arrested P, uh, four, uh, three people, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think the, the response from Spanish people uh, is really what's key here. There were protests mm. in, in every major town and city in Spain following this, this heinous uh, attack. So it's unfortunate, but when we, we see these things happen and sometimes we have to make sure to note them. Yeah, and it's really interesting. So when I said that, like, Spain is considered the most gay friendly, I'm not just talking about, like, the state, because there's a bunch of, um, like, some of the first countries to give 
equal access to marriage. Uh, we're South American. And it was just on the principle of uh, we shouldn't make things illegal that are not harming anyone, even though the cultural battle of, of social acceptance of same-sex couples is still ongoing in South America. I'm actually referring to a thing where only 4% of Spain disapproves of same-sex marriage, which is incredibly low. In Canada, it's like 16%. And that's including, by the way, like gay couples who are like, you know, they're they're all for civil partnerships, but they don't want to see marriage. Like you do see some of that number is also like same sex partners who who don't believe in marriage. They believe in something else. But like even including that Spain is down to four percent. It's really, really progressive. So this is this is actually really alarming to come from a culture like this, especially if they're young. And that's well, I, also I think, yeah i think europe is facing a bit of a, a culture war moment happening mm. and what's really interesting is the european parliament just voted uh let me have a quick look 459 to 147 with 58 abstentions uh, against hungary's law that promotes lgbt folks so mm -hmm. the the anti-gay law in in hungary mm -hmm. but one of the things that um the european parliament has done is they want the commission to launch an investigation to see if there's any common threads or any common funding for those who are pushing these laws, not just in Hungary, but also in Poland and Slovenia, mm. um, because what they're seeing is these anti-gay bills, these anti-gay uh, initiatives are very close in wording to the Russian no-say-gay law, right. um, but also this push to, uh, you know, curtail and diminish the rights of gay folks um, is also creating a cultural you know, flashpoint mm. in Europe. And they're thinking, is this Russia? Is this Russia just doing some, some real politic? You know what I mean? Because it's not beyond the realm of possibility that Russia is over there just with a great big pot stirring away. I mean, uh, you know, they, they were clearly identified as being behind a lot of the, the zeitgeist in the US uh, a couple of years ago in the run up to the election. It's easy to blame Russia, but also don't forget that a lot of the homophobia in um, sub-Saharan Africa was caused by American NGOs. So it is the proxy war, you know, the, the, the big names in the proxy war coming back. It, it could be Russia. It could be we're American NGOs. Uh, I don't think this is an instance where blaming China is valid. People blame <laughs> we, China we for a lot. We if we have a chance. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, in this particular motion, they the, the, there's no law here. There's no real consequence to this motion. It's non-binding. Mm. But they've asked the European Commission to accelerate the infringement procedure against Hungary, which essentially will criticize Hungary legally. Pardon me. Legally for breaching its obligations under EU law. They mm. also have called on states to take Hungary to the European Court of Justice uh, if the commission doesn't do it first. And they've also recommended the suspension or reduction of EU payments to member states that violate the rule of law. Um, so really this is the European Parliament, which is the sort of broad um, instrument of, of European democracy, 
coming together quite substantially and saying, look, you know, if you want our money, you've got to be playing by the rules. And that means equality for everyone. Mm -hmm. So uh, Victor Orban last week said that uh, this bill has nothing to do with homosexuality, um, that this bill, in fact, all it does is it just regulates the relationship between parents, teachers and children. That's all it does. Um, Local LGBT rights organizations in Hungary have pointed out that the bill contains direct references to homosexuality no less than six times, Mm. and it is only being used to also specifically prohibit mention of homosexuality. Um, So even though Viktor Orban claims it has nothing to do with it, the the bill actually lists it as the third thing which, you know, is prohibited. Mm. So it's... The evidence isn't uh, isn't in line with what Viktor Orban is is trying to claim. I mean, the fact that even France is stepping in because France has a history of we don't want to bother you about your business. But the general attitude right now in Europe is, you know, you are an autonomous country. You have the right to do what you want, but not when you start hurting your own people. That's we've been down this path before. We see what happens when people start hurting their own people. So, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's a story that's unfolding still. And really the only yeah. thing we can say is we'll see how it turns out. Absolutely. We'll keep an eye on it. Um, all right. Last story I have now is uh, WeChat closed a number of university and college LGBT student group wechat accounts okay so not individual accounts well i think there may have been individual accounts within these groups so but it was specifically the student organizations accounts that have been shut down what's really interesting is that these accounts have been running for years (laughs) well the really interesting thing here is uh what wechat is and what does it mean to china so Uh, In China, because of the Great Firewall and because in China, the state is a co-owner on all Chinese companies, because that's what communism is. They've seized the means of production. Um, They are co-owners of WeChat. And WeChat is sort of like if you took Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and every social media app that you can imagine and smush them into one and throw in League of Legends, too, because they have a huge online gaming scene in China. But also your banking and your social credit score and your ability to do things like make train reservations or get tickets for a concert. So WeChat is sort of like your one-stop or it's part of a network of one-stop shops of apps that is on your phone. And most people in China have internet access. They do it through their phone. Very few people have a laptop. Um, So if you're cutting off people's access to WeChat, Depending on how you're cut off, it's also cutting off your ability to do anything other than cash market. So you can still pay the rent and buy groceries, but your ability to, you know, get a train ticket, your ability to uh, communicate with someone who's not your direct neighbor. A lot of this is severely hindered by not having access to to WeChat. And and WeChat's part of, I think, Weho, it's called, the the, the bigger network of apps. So being cut off from that, is actually, it's kind of like the state is not permitting you to interact with society. 
Um, so, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, you know, are they just cutting off the organizational accounts or are they also cutting off people's personal accounts as well? It's very, very important because if they're cutting off personal accounts, they are damaging lives and possibly even livelihoods. So the, the Guardian reported on this amongst uh, a number of others. And the initial reporting that we've been able to see has been that they've cut off uh, registered student clubs, uh, unofficial grassroots organizations, mm. essentially in a lot of um, uh, across China, in many of the cities and towns there where there are post-secondary institutions, mm-hmm. um, locals had gathered together to create the equivalent really of a Facebook group right. uh, where they can you know, communicate with each other, coordinate what they're going to do in the weekend, yep. create a place where if you're a gay person in this university, that's where you go to to meet other people and chat and and, and connect, and mm-hmm. that's what these accounts were, and uh, they've been operating for a number of years, mm-hmm. um, completely with no word from the government, no word from the Communist Party, very much just every day doing their things, no questions raised, no flags, nothing, nothing, nothing came up, um, and then, do you think it might be because? The gays disproportionately love Disney. No, I don't think this has to do with the gays. But you don't think it has a... to do with Winnie the Pooh? No. <laughs> what some commentators have noted is that there has been a push by the Chinese cyber administration uh, to crack down on Western influence, on things that are considered a bad influence in China that. Uh, they need to do to protect minors and so on and so forth. Minors oh and small children. Yeah. So this is what this is the pressure that the cyberspace administration is facing uh, in China. So they reckon that this is just a move by Weibo to look proactive. Okay. Because they shut down a lot of these groups overnight, all yep. at the same time. Uh, it was a synchronized move. Uh, these groups weren't doing anything. It's not like they'd instigated something and this was a reaction. This was an unsolicited uh, action by Weibo and, and uh, the WeChat uh, company. But they're perceived um, as being capable of doing something, and that's enough. Yeah, and this yeah. is the thing that they've now done. So yeah, the South Morning, uh, the, the South China Morning Post in particular, does point towards China's pushback against Western influence. Mm. And it seems like these groups may have just been a victim to it. It's worth noting that China decriminalized homosexuality in 1997. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe lifted uh, lifted uh, homosexuality as a mental illness in, I want to say, 2001-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been legal and, and, and fine in China for some time. On paper, yeah. On paper. Um, but yeah, this is really seen not necessarily as an anti-gay thing, but more as a, this company is just flexing it's the wear a good comrade muscles and uh, they were fell victim to that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's complicated. I actually lived in Hong Kong in 98. So I remember a lot of this stuff happening. So it's, uh, I, I've been paying attention to China ever since then i mean i'm not cantonese i'm not gonna claim to be you know crazy chinese weeaboo or something like that but i have been listening to the news out of china ever since i lived there because i don't know i i very much care for the place but i don't care 
for what's been happening to it lately. So, yeah, yeah I, I think what we're seeing, not just in the United States with the attack on trans people, not just in Hungary, Poland, Slovenia, with a sort of anti-gay uh, culture war that's coming up, but now we're seeing it in China, mm-hmm. where just being gay is seen almost as this leftist propaganda coming out of the 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 entitled left yeah Um, and it's really unfortunate for folks who are born and raised and live in these communities who have never seen a western person in 100 miles yeah yeah, yeah. um, are falling victim to these these new tropes so yeah it's just interesting to see how it's involved into this culture war yeah this will develop this is not one of those let's wait and see this is this is the kind of story that is going to develop so mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, with that being said, we have run out of time. We are playing down with uh, playing out. Sorry, with tethered down by Claire Twiddy, and we will be back next week. I've been Luke Smith, and I've been Sebastian, and thank you for listening. Crystal love knows the dew it wets your lips with a bitter taste. We're switching back and forth from anything that points north, finding the boiling point falling in. I try to catch him, but Channel